Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. I'm pleased to welcome to Core Principles a local friend who has studied a topic of great interest to everyone about the power of food. She is Ann Watkins. How are you doing today, Ann? Hi, Clay. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Well, in your research and about the power of food and in the presentation that you have assembled and, and given on that topic, uh, you start, of course, with the basic concepts of nutrients and energy. Now, many people have heard a lot of different suggestions about the best balance of various types of foods to eat. And we all enter any discussion like this with our own preconceptions based on the things that we've heard over the years. So I'm going to try to approach this topic with you today from as blank a slate as possible. And I wanted to start with a really basic uh, leadoff question. What are the three macronutrients that comprise all of the plant and animal foods? So there are only three. We have fat, protein, and carbohydrates. So dietary fat metabolizes into what are known as fatty acids. And dietary protein is metabolized into amino acids. And then you have carbohydrates. So your carbohydrates are composed of grains, seeds, nuts, vegetables, and fruit, and all of the food products that can be made from all of the above. The two things that we get from food, the, the most important way in which our body benefits from food is first uh, energy or fuel, and then the other is nutrition or nutrients. So we get our, our energy and we get our nutrients from these three macronutrients. Whenever there are multiple things to be considered, just from a philosophical standpoint, I've always had in mind that proper balance is essential in all areas of life. You know, uh, anything taken to excess becomes a liability rather than the benefit that it might be. So I start with a general philosophy then that we should try to find the right balance. How do we determine the proper balance of those three macronutrients? The idea of a balanced diet, quite frankly, has been a marketing ploy that has gone back many years because of the food industry. And the idea that we need to eat a balance of all three proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, which is in some sense true, but what has happened is that our food system has become so, you know, adulterated with hybridization, you know, unhealthy types of sugars like fructose and high fructose corn syrup and refined grains. Going back to the idea of a balance between the three macros, I just want to say that so often we, we don't understand what for example, is a carbohydrate, okay? So we've been told that we need to eat a certain number of fruits and vegetables. You know, I don't really know exactly what the uh, recommended daily allowance is now, but it used to be five or six portions of fruits and vegetables a day. So carbohydrates is the hot button topic of the day. 
And what what many of us who have gone down this rabbit hole of nutrition have been totally surprised to learn that, for example, fruits and vegetables, which is what I spent most of my adult life trying to eat, thinking that I needed to have a balanced diet, are carbohydrates. And, and of the three macronutrients that we were referring to earlier, that is the only macro that's not essential. So there is no type of carbohydrate that we are required to eat for either energy, like I mentioned previously, or nutrition. So once you kind of take a step back and begin to examine what we've been told as far as what is in a balanced diet, then you realize, hmm, I'm not sure I really understand everything that I thought I did about nutrition. So um, that was kind of my experience once I Uh, started really examining uh, what it is that we're eating and why so many people are sick right now and why so many people have all all kinds of autoimmune issues and, and, and diabetes and prediabetes and uh, you know, obesity and morbid obesity. I, I was just really flummoxed and I was just shocked to learn how, how really harmful our present, um, standard American diet is. Well, I uh, understand and learned this really from your presentation about there being no essential requirements specified for carbohydrates. And of course, uh, even as all these different competing ideas over time have uh, been promulgated, one common denominator seems to always have been that too much sugar is unhealthy. And I associate those in that uh, group, I guess. I have also, of course, been told that too much fat is unhealthy. Mm -hmm. In your presentation on the power of food, you describe something called a ketogenic diet uh, as a macronutrient metabolic dietary model. And I wonder if you could help us understand what that means and what it teaches. Yes, I would love to. And I liked the, the fact that you reminded me that we've been told also not to eat too much fat because that really plays a big role in the ketogenic diet because the ketogenic diet is a diet that encourages you to switch your metabolism over from being a sugar burning metabolism to a fat burning metabolism. And so when you first hear that idea, you think, well, we're not supposed to be eating a lot of fat. And so you, so that's when you have to really be willing, I guess, uh, to go in the direction that I've gone in is to do a little bit of homework and to start educating yourself. So yes, the the ketogenic diet is a, it's been used to treat children with epileptic seizures. This started back in the early 1900s. It's a really low restricted carbohydrate diet of 20 grams or less of daily consumed carbohydrates. And then it is a high healthy fat So we want to distinguish between fat and healthy fat and a moderate protein. Now, some some people like myself, I prioritize protein over fat and I get my fat in my protein. It results in um, a, a metabolic healthiness whereby you are not creating so much insulin in your system in order to metabolize sugar because you're not putting all that sugar in your body in the form mostly of carbohydrates. So your body is switching from a sugar burning metabolism to a fat burning metabolism. So you burn what's known as ketones, 
ideally there's a range of healthy ketosis. So you know, also keep in mind, this is not the same as ketoacidosis because ketoacidosis is a condition that you have when you're either pre-diabetic or diabetic and you're, you're producing um, way too many ketones. The way to avoid ketoacidosis is to be in ketosis because <laughs> you will never ever worry have to worry about the other, but you will have to if you're on the standard American diet because the standard American diet is quickly taking most of us to a state of pre-diabetic or diabetic. Yes, and uh, you mentioned, Anne, this idea of uh, healthy fat and unhealthy fat. Now, I know people have uh, come to learn what it means in terms of our cholesterol, that there's good and bad cholesterol, and the levels also need to be in a, a healthy balance. So I just wonder if you can help us understand the difference and how to discern what is uh, good fat and bad fat. Yes, I, I'd love to try to do that. So what we have been eating for millennia, for thousands of years, is saturated fat. We have been eating beef, butter, bacon, and eggs for the most part. That's what people sustained themselves on, mostly in little rural communities, small towns, small farms. And forever, you can go back to biblical days and read about the fatted lamb, read about, you know, um, a, a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, the milk would have been unpasteurized and it would have been loaded with saturated fat. So we have been surviving and doing very well with a diet high in saturated fat. So in the early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s, there were a whole set of factors that came into being and it's a historical novel really if someone were to sit down and and write it out it would be an amazing story it was a confluence of uh, religious people um, it was the temperance movement who told us that we really should avoid animal products that they were not good for you and that instead of eating animal products meat and saturated fat and dairy we should eat more of a vegetarian type uh, plant-based diet. And then you progress, you get uh, Procter & Gamble after World War II decides that they have all this, uh, they've developed a, a way uh, by which they can co convert cottonseed into oil. And now that they no longer need it to lubricate the machinery that was being used in World War II, they want to try to turn a dollar with their product and they start first with candles and other products and then they quickly learn that if they clean their cottonseed oil and purify it and deodorize it and do all of this chemical process to it they can made make a uh, a product at first it was called cottonelle and then it became crisco so they they marketed this plant-based oil to wives in, in homes and said, you know, you don't, you don't need to use the hog fat anymore. That's, you know, that's outdated. That's archaic. You need to use this newer, cleaner, pure Crisco. After Crisco took off, then other types of vegetable oils came on the scene. Canola, peanut oil, corn oil, all of these different oils began to replace saturated fat. And then you have the situation in the 
mid-50s where President Eisenhower has a heart attack and he's out of the Oval Office for two weeks. And, and also, you know, we didn't hear about heart attacks. There weren't that many heart attacks. People didn't have heart disease to speak of before this. And then other middle-aged men were, were showing signs of heart disease and having heart attacks. And so then it was determined by another series of events that it must be the saturated fat in our diets that's clogging our arteries. And so then the um, USDA got involved and they established our dietary guidelines. And it's just a fascinating history, but we, we did originally only use saturated fat or animal fat. Now we have in the last 100, 150 years, uh, migrated away from that and now we are eating primarily a plant-based diet with oils plant oils that have replaced the animal fat and i would contest and a lot of other people are now very very um concerned that what we have done is created a whole new set of health conditions that we would not have had we not had we not replaced the healthy saturated fat with the newer plant oils. That is fascinating. And it's worth a lot of study because we do get a lot of conflicting input. And like you say, over decades, uh, these inputs changed and the minds of the populace were changed. Now, just in general terms, I was taught early on that uh, we should look at our calories as the thing to uh, limit or regulate, and that the uh, our weight, our body weight, would vary as a direct correlation to the net amount of calories that we either consume or burn. But this uh, ketogenic way focuses not on restricting calories, but on restricting carbohydrates. Can you help us understand simply how that is a, is a better or more appropriate uh, metric? Yes, that's exactly right. And I will try. We were told, as you say, and are still being told today, that it's a matter of calories in, calories out. I think that's what you're saying. Yes, ma'am. That we need to make sure that we don't eat more calories than we're burning in order to maintain good health and proper weight and all of that. And it, it does seem to make sense. It, it, it almost seems like a mathematical formula. So, you know, um, how can this not be true? But what's really interesting about that is that it totally overlooks the hormones that are involved. So in other words, not all calories are equal. Some are nutritional and nutritious, and some are not. But if you're just counting total calories, then you're omitting the type of calories that you're consuming, or you're not really focused on that as you should be. Um, and then the hormones come into play with, with a ketogenic diet, what you're seeking to do is the bottom line is you're trying to keep your insulin low because you don't want your body to become insulin resistant by having to deal with too much insulin. You don't need to eat carbohydrates or foods with sugar in them in order to produce glucose. Your, your liver produces the precise amount of blood glucose that you need. And so that's why if you don't eat any carbohydrates at all, which is what I have done on and off for the last three years, your liver now is free to do what it does best. And that is to exactly calibrate the precise amount of glucose that you need 
in in your body. But back to the calorie idea, calories in, calories out is not working. If you follow that model, you will be at the gym five days a week trying to keep your body weight down while you're counting your calories. I mean, how many of us have really experienced long-term weight loss, for example, by counting calories? It doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because the body works more with our hormones and our insulin and our other hormones, not just insulin, but there are other hormones at work. When you eat and you're not counting calories, you're not thinking about calories, but you're counting carbohydrates. And that's what a ketogenic diet really is. It's the difference between counting calories and counting carbohydrates. If you're counting carbohydrates and you're keeping your carbohydrates at least under 50 grams a day, but if you want to lose weight, you would shoot for 20 grams a day. When you're doing that, your body now switches over from being a sugar-burning metabolism to a fat-burning metabolism, and your body starts burning fat. And not only that, but the food you're eating, because you're not eating high, highly processed foods, or you're not eating a lot of foods that metabolize in sugar, you're experiencing satiation in your diet because it's really hard to overeat fat and it's really hard to overeat protein. There's a couple of things completely unrelated to food in specific terms that you have highlighted uh, in my mind as I'm listening to your uh, information on this, which is one, it's easy for people to be en masse led astray or led to conclusions in their minds that may or may not have merit. And I, I call it gaslighting these days because I'm seeing it in terms of the information coming out about the worldwide pandemic. Everybody's tuned in to see, you know, what should we know about this? And people who can't possibly know are convincing us of things that everybody is now being told you must believe exactly this or else. And so people are grasping on to some of these ideas, which some of them have been already proven completely false and ridiculous. So this idea that we can get a, an idea in our mind collectively that sounds great and is easily defensible and could be said to be, oh, it's all about science, but be completely wrong and false and misleading is something to be on guard against. Um, so that's good to know that just because, you know, people have always known what they've always known, it's not usually the case. In fact, uh, an observation I had on this podcast several weeks ago, knowledge isn't truth. It's just mindless agreement. So listeners, you can think about that. But it's also true that there are a lot of influencers in our lives, and uh, I'm I'm a man of faith, but I'm also a scientist and engineer. You mentioned that some of the ways that these ideas got pushed had to do with uh, certain folks' religious beliefs, and uh, that's concerning to me. Although, you know, people should always be discerning in their relationship with God. There is capital T truth, and there's also an enemy trying to whisper in our ear things that are false. Yes. So people need yes. to be discerning. Uh, in mm -hmm. the spiritual realm. For people like myself and who don't study these topics but are presented with data all the time about the proper intake of food, how would you recommend to us that we discern and that we glean from the various contradictory declarations of dietary guidance 
How do we find ground truth on this? What are the resources we can use? It's wonderful that we live in a time in history. And when you're someone my age, I think you can recognize this and appreciate it more than maybe if I were younger. But we have access to so much information. And of course, you have to be careful with that because uh, you can be misled and misdirected. But we at our fingertips via the internet, there is a host of ways in which you can, um, you know, you can access information about nutrition. And of course, now I'm, I'm an advocate for a ketogenic metabolism. So I would recommend you go online and you type in, um, you know, the ketogenic diet, how to start the ketogenic diet, what is the keto diet, some of the people that I really enjoy following, I like to follow doctors and so um, that who are also advocating for a ketogenic metabolism, which again is a fat fat burning metabolism versus a sugar burning metabolism. So one of those doctors is Dr. Robert Sivas. His last name is C-Y-W-E-S. Another one is Dr. Ken Berry, B-E-R-R-Y and start exploring the world of nutrition and and especially right now clay because you know with uh the COVID age in which we live it, it this is really not a disease of a virus as much as it is a disease of comorbidity and pre-existing comorbidity is what really i'm talking about because if you are inflamed and if you have oxidative stress because you're eating the wrong types of fats, you know, you're eating polyunsaturated fats, you're not eating enough saturated fat, or if you're consuming way too many uh, processed carbohydrates, and you're not really in tune with what you should be eating, you can set yourself up without even knowing it to be sick and unhealthy. It's our responsibility to take care of our health. Nobody else is going to care more about our health than we do. And, um, you know, even the study of epigenetics, which which is really interesting. You know, we've been told for so long that that the, our genes determine the outcome of just about everything related to our health. Well, now we know through the study of epigenetics that it's our environment that ex, that it, uh, influences the way that our genes express themselves. And it's fascinating to think that we can impact the way our genes express our health. And so, one of the main environmental influencers would be our diet. So it's just an obvious place, to my way of thinking, uh, and it's an obvious place that we need to address and and learn as much as we possibly can. That is good counsel, their listeners, to study and learn and think. You will not get recommendations from me, as I mentioned on the COVID episode. I don't make recommendations about your health care, but certainly I recommend you think, you learn, you seek information, and you discern when there's conflict between the information, you try to break those ties through discernment. Now, one thing that she said that's absolutely database that uh, I have just discovered over the past 18 months studying the data on this uh, pandemic, the comorbidities that are leading to the deaths attributed to COVID-19 are important to know because the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has been tracking all the death certificates that include COVID-19 as one of the causes of death. And they have published what percentage of all deaths attributed COVID-19 
were actually caused only by COVID-19. And that currently stands at 5.5%, meaning 94.5% of all deaths attributed to COVID-19 were actually caused by other things, an average, the CDC says, of 4.0 comorbidities. So it is absolutely true, and it is absolutely important. Uh, There's more to health than just this one thing that's on everybody's mind. So, Ann Watkins, thank you so much for being with me on Core Principles today. It's fascinating information. We all eat. The more we know about what we eat, the better off we may be. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure, Clay. Core Principles podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July. L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.